Hello and welcome. This is Lana Lynn Marino and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Wellness. I'm an intuitive therapist and energy healer. I'm here to give you some guidance and support in challenging times. This episode today, I'm going to be talking about the shadow, the dark side of all of us that we have as human beings. I recently lost my brother and he only came into my life three years ago but what was disturbing was when he died, when he passed over, there was lots of things that contributed to us knowing why he had passed, why he was so unhappy and some of the things, the way he lived his life, there was undoubtedly so much love in him and so much giving. Everyone loved him, respected him. There was so much joy in his heart. We would FaceTime or we would video each other. And always he wanted to know about his beloved country that he was born in. But unfortunately, he had to leave when he was a child with my father and his mother, my stepmother. They went to live in America and his life took a different meaning, took a different turning. And sadly, what we learned after his death was the reality of how his personality had developed through a child living in a beautiful Dominica, an island so rich in nature, having to move to a country where he was forced to mold himself into a world of so much, so much that was different. The sad thing was, is that I found out about my brother, Cleve, after he died, I had a kind of intuitive knowing that something wasn't right in his life and he made compromises of himself. He died very young, 59. But he made so many compromises of himself that I found out later from my niece. Not sleeping properly, not eating properly, not taking care of himself, almost living a double life and they found the details on his phone after his death. Of different people's story in life that he was kind of threaded into, and it was a shock, but it didn't change anything. It didn't change the fact that he was my brother and I loved him, and I saw the good in him every time we spoke. I saw the love that poured out of him. I saw so much like my father. It gave me a great joy to know that in only three short years of us actually getting to know each other, albeit virtually, that we had grown to love and understand each other. And there's so much of him that I saw in me, so much of me I saw in him. From a book that I've had for many, many years, which I've read from before, God in All Worlds, and then of contemporary spiritual writings by Lucinda Vardy. There's something that I want to share with you today and it's from M. Scott Peck, a book called People of the Lie. It talks about the evil deny the suffering of their guilt. And when I think about Cleve, Cleve would never have admitted his pain he had to really think hard and try hard to sustain that dark side as much as the light side. 
But light, as we know, always perceives itself in the way of the godly self, the God mind, as we like to call it. The painful awareness of their sin, the evil denied the suffering of their guilt, but the painful awareness of their sin, inadequacy and imperfection by causing their pain onto others through projection and scapegoating. They themselves may not suffer, but those around them do. They cause suffering, the evil create for those under their dominion, a miniature sick society. In reality, we exist not merely as individuals, but as social creatures who are integral component parts of a larger organism called society. Even if we were to insist upon suffering in the definition of illness, it is neither necessary nor wise to conceive of illness so totally in terms of the individual. It may be that the parents described were not themselves suffering, but their families were. And the symptoms of family disorder, depression, suicide, failing grades and theft were attributable to their leadership. In terms of system theory, the suffering of the children was symptomatic not of their own sickness, but that of their parents. Are we to consider individuals healthy simply because they are not in pain, no matter how much havoc and harm they bring to their fellow human beings? Finally, who is to say what the evil suffer? It is consistently true that the evil do not appear to suffer deeply because they cannot admit to weakness or imperfection in themselves. They must appear this way. They must appear to themselves to be continually on top of things, continually in command. Their narcissism demands it. Yet we know they are not truly on top of things. No matter how competent the parents described, thought themselves, we know that in fact they were incompetent in their parental role. Their appearance of competence was just that, an appearance, a pretense. Rather than being in command of themselves, it was their narcissism that was in command, always demanding, whipping them into maintaining their presence of health and wholeness. So think of psychic energy required for the continued maintenance of the pretense, so characteristics of the evil. They perhaps direct at least as much energy into the devious rationalizations and destructive compensations as the healthiest do into loving behavior. Why? What possesses them, drives them? Basically, it is fear. They are terrified that the pretense will break down and they will be exposed to the world and to themselves. They are continually frightened that they will come face to face with their own evil. Of all emotions, fear is the most painful. Regardless of how well they attempt to appear calm and collected in their daily dealings, the evil lies that their lives in fear. The evil live their lives in fear. 
It is a terror and a suffering so chronic, so interwoven into the fabric of their being that they may not even feel it as such. And if they could, their omnipresent narcissism would prohibit them from ever acknowledging it. Even if we cannot pity the evil for their inevitably ghastly old age or for the state of their souls after death, we can surely pity them for their lives they live of almost unremitting apprehension. Whether the evil suffer or not, the experience of suffering is so subjective and the meaning of suffering so complex I think it best not to define illness and disease in its terms. Instead, I believe that illness and disease should be defined as any defect in the structure of our bodies or our personalities that prevents us from fulfilling our potential as human beings. Admittingly, we may have some differences of opinion as to what exactly constitutes the human potential. Nevertheless, there are a sufficient number of men and women in all cultures and at all times who have achieved in their full adulthood a kind of gracefulness of existence so that we can generally say to them, they have become truly human. By which we mean their lives seem almost to touch on the divine and we can study these people and examine their characteristics. Briefly, they are wise and aware they enjoy life with gusto, yet face and accept death. They not only work productively, but creatively, and they obviously love their fellow human beings, whom they lead with a benignity of both intent and result. Most people, however, are so crippled in body and spirit that they cannot possibly ever attain such a lofty condition, even through their best efforts, without massive therapeutic assistance. Among these crippled legions, the mass of suffering humanity, the evil reside, perhaps the most pitiable, pitiable of all. I said there were two other reasons one might hesitate to label even an evil an illness. They, become, they can be countered more briefly. One is the notion that someone who is ill must be a victim we tend to think of illness as something that befalls us, a circumstance over which we have no control, an unfortunate accident visited on us by meaningless fate, a curse in the creation of which we did not participate. Certainly many illnesses seem like this, but many others, perhaps the majority, do not conform to such a pattern at all. Is the child who runs out on the street when he has been told not to go and gets hit by a car a victim? How about the driver of a car who gets in an accident when he is racing well above the speed limit to meet an appointment for which he is late? Or let us examine the enormous variety of psychosomatic illnesses and diseases of stress. Are people who suffer tension headaches because they don't like their jobs victims of what a woman has an asthmatic attack every time she's in a situation which she feels ignored isolated and uncared for is she a victim 
or way, one way or another, to some extent, all these people and a host of others victimize themselves. Their motives, failures and choices are deeply and intimately involved in the creation of their injuries and diseases, although they all have a certain degree of responsibility for their condition we still consider them ill. Most recently this issue has been debated in reference to alcoholism, some vigorously insisting that it is a disease and others insisting that because it appears to be self-inflicted, it is not. Not only physicians but courts and legislators have been involved in this debate and have reached the conclusion that alcoholism is indeed a disease, despite the fact that the alcoholic may sometimes seem nobody's victim except his or their own. The issue of evil is similar. An individual's evil can almost be traced to some extent to his or her childhood circumstances, the sins of the parents and the nature of their hereditary. Yet evil is always also a choice one has made, indeed a whole series of choices. This fact that we are all responsible for the state of health of our souls does not mean that a poor state of health is something other than disease. Once again I believe we are on surfaced and soundest ground when we do not define disease in terms of victimization or responsibility, but instead hold on to the definition already offered. An illness or disease is any defect in the structure of our bodies or personalities that prevents us from fulfilling our potential as human beings. The final argument against labeling evil and illness is the belief that evil is seemingly untreatable, a condition that is untreatable. Why designate a disease, as a disease a condition for which there is neither known treatment nor cure? Had we an elixir of youth in our doctor's black bag, it might be good sense to consider old age a disease but we do not generally or currently think of it so. We accept old age as an inevitable part of the human condition, a natural process that is our lot and against which we are fools to rage. This argument, however, ignores the fact that there are a whole host of disorders from multiple sclerosis to mental deficiency for which there is no treatment or cure but which we don't hesitate to call diseases. Perhaps we call them diseases because we hope to find the means to combat them, but is this not the case with evil? It is true that we do not currently possess any generally feasible or effective form of treatment to heal the thoroughly evil of their hatred and destructiveness. Indeed, the analysis of evil presented thus far reveals several reasons just why it is an extraordinarily difficult condition to approach, much less cure. But is a cure possible? Are we to simply throw up our hands in the face of this difficulty and sigh? It's beyond us. 
even when it is the greatest problem of mankind. Rather than being an effective argument against it, the fact that we currently do not know how to treat evil in the human individuals is the best reason to designate it to a disease. For the label of disease implies that the disorder is not inevitable, that healing should be possible, that it should be studied scientifically and methods of treatment should be sought. If evil is an illness, it should then become an object to research like any other mental illness, be it schizophrenia or neuroasthenia. It is the central proposition of this book that the phenomenon of evil can and should be subjected to scientific scrutiny. We can and should move from our present state of ignorance and helplessness towards a true psychology of evil. The designation of evil as a disease also obligates us to approach the evil with compassion. By their nature, evil inspire in us more of a desire to destroy than to heal, to hate than to pity. While these natural reactions serve to protect the uninhibited, the uninitiated, they otherwise prevent um, any possible solution. I do not think we shall come any closer than we are today to understanding, and I hope curing human evil until the healing professions name evil as an illness within the domain of their professional responsibility. There is a wise old priest retired to the mountains of North Carolina who has long done battle with the forces of darkness. After he had done me the favour of reviewing a draft of this book, he commented, I am glad that you have labelled evil an illness. It is not only a disease, it is the ultimate disease. And as I said, that is from M. Scott Peck from the book People of the Lie. The Three Poisons, Craving, Hatred and Ignorance from Thomas Merton, the ASEAN Journals of Thomas Merton. So I'd like to talk a little bit about something that I work with with people and that is generational ancestral links to family's dark past. When I see a hook in someone's uh, solar plexus or in the astral field of their energy field, it makes perfect sense with some of the conditions that they come to me for um, to do with not feeling good enough in a family. Maybe someone that feels that they have to keep appeasing a family member, a parent, feeling that as a sibling they haven't met the expectations of their family. Traditionally, when we start to break cords or clean cords, what we're actually doing is we're starting to understand that we can at any time disengage from the family that we came into. It doesn't mean that we have to disown them or let them go completely. It just means that emotional boundaries, mental boundaries, physical boundaries have to be put into place until the person is strong enough to be able to accept their family to be able to understand why 
their family react the way they do. Why great-great-great-great-grandpa was such an amazing character because he served society well in becoming the first in whatever it was that he invented. He made millions. He became a billionaire as an example. And that expectation was passed down through the genes, through the dictomony, sorry, the the way of um, making future generations believe that they had to pick up the baton and run with it. And what we see then is now people are starting to actually decide for themselves who they want to be, who they are, what they can be, to start to own their sexuality, start to own the inner workings of their belief system. If we're coming from a dark place, if we're carrying old energy, if we're carrying stagnant energy that didn't belong to us, that we brought into the world maybe through um, a mother that was infected with the, the negative core belief that she was not good enough, then we have a right to our soul to help to heal our soul to break that karmic relationship in this lifetime we have a right and we have a responsibility to the future of our soul and to the healing that collectively from a planetary perspective we can contribute to when we start to break down the chains and start to forgive ourselves when we start to understand that we are beautiful, intense, innocent creatures when we come into the world and that our personality is evolves and is developed through our life experiences. Going back to my brother Cleve, when I flew to California in, in 2018 to meet my, my other brother, um, who both had found me through my website, when I went to California in 2018 to meet him, flying over, I had this feeling, I had this really deep feeling that I was going to meet Cleve at the airport, that he was going to fly up from New York secretly and be with my brother Norman to, to meet me for the first time. <clears throat> and this feeling was just so strong and I couldn't understand. I was convinced that when I got to the airport, there would be my two loving brothers who had patiently been looking for me all these years and that had finally found me. When I arrived at the airport, I was quietly, quietly sad that it was just Norman that was there. Anyway, on the drive back to his home, I proceeded to talk to him about my feelings that Cleve hadn't come to meet me as well. And it saddened me to hear that Norman had actually sent Cleve a ticket and Cleve was going to come to meet me, but what I found out afterwards was that fear and what was happening in Cleve's life had held him so strongly that he had let go of the joy and the possible changes in his life that could have been made through us all meeting together. Something so beautiful could have come from him coming up to California to meet me, the three of us, engaging together. Maybe we'll never know, but my belief is strong that Cleve was so afraid of the light 
he was so afraid of actually breaking the bonds of his torture, the life that he had he had lived, the double life that he had lived. And I think to to actually come into a place, we have to sacrifice the darkness. We have to step into the light. Only when we are healed at a level of knowing that we are stepping into the unknown. And that definitely comes from letting go of those hooks or having those hooks released and bringing us to a place where we can actually come into the spiritual wilderness, as I like to call it. Stepping into the spiritual wilderness means that we let go of the pain and the negative core beliefs that have held us bondage throughout our life. And usually as children, you know, childhood development really is very important to understand that we have to release the child, we have to teach the child our children from a young age. We have to teach them from a young age that it's not their fault. If mummy and daddy separate and break up, it's not their fault. We have to teach them that they are not responsible for the cruelty and the unkindness in the world. We have to teach them from a young age, in early development when the base chakra is forming, that they are safe. They are safe and it's okay to be them. We have to help them develop their personality in a way that is healthy. When I look at the cords of people that are still attached to generational grief, um, pain and fear, to release those, it brings an uncanny state of joy, almost like a lightness. So. I want you to think about this in terms of if you are looking to change your life, if you are looking to step out of relationships, family relationships that have held you hostage to the past, if you want to move on. Some of the things mentioned in the reading that I did today was looking at um, looking at prayer, whatever that means to you, looking at affirmations is being very important very important on a daily basis as the course in miracles teach us everything is about our perception if this is my perception that i have to stay in this this world uh, that i'm in right now if i don't have the strength or the power the ability to move forward to let go of not what is no longer working for me then I am, I, am, I am hopeless, useless in understanding the spiritual workings that we don't have to try to be spiritual, we just are. What we have to try to do, from my, my own personal perspective, we have to try to learn to love our dark side as much as our light side. And only through doing that can we release and heal the past and by healing the past, we are helping to break a cycle, patterns in our life and in those around us, especially our children. And we can move forward in life and make good. My name's Lana Lynn Marino, and you have been listening to my podcast, 
and I hope that 2022 brings you much joy, happiness, and we are in difficult times, but we are in challenging times, and challenging times that through the pandemic that we are all in. Countries are closing down, borders are closing, separation has never been greater, but it gives us a time to reflect a time to reflect and think about the good things in our life and what do we want for ourselves what do we want for our loved ones what do we need to do so that we can help to create a better world not just for ourselves but for everyone around us you can find me on facebook wellness journeys my twitter is wellness journeys instagram journeys to wellness so thank you for joining me today as i said and As I said again, 2022, take care and step out of the fear and know that you are well, you are safe and you are loved.